As things continue to heat up in the Middle East, hypocrisy and bad theology continue to grow in the West because of, you guessed it, Christian Zionism. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks so much for being with me today. Boy, do we have a lot to get into today, so make sure you subscribe and you do so on my website because I've had more and more people tell me that uh, their likes get down-liked or whatever you call it. YouTube is obviously has several layers of shadow banning, and probably they've already applied one of it to my channel, but who knows? Ultimately, these types of things, uh, I just don't trust YouTube or I don't trust even Rumble, but... If you're subscribed on my website, you can watch everything ad-free, and you can stay in touch regardless of what happens. Now, today's episode is directed at Christian Zionism specifically, but it's also directed at people who are dispensationalists and even people who are premillennial, because there's a spectrum, right? Christian Zionism is the apex extreme of that spectrum. And then you have dispensationalists, which many Christian Zionists are dispensationalists. You pretty much have to be. Um, but not all dispensationalists are Christian Zionists, so that's important. It's an important distinction to make. And then you have premillennialism, which is still Jewish-focused in terms of the end times, but it's not as extreme as dispensationalism. It's not as extreme as Christian Zionism. But all of these things are related because the fundamental underpinning of this entire belief system, wherever you happen to find yourself on that spectrum, and I used to be a premillennial, because it's, it is historically what people believed in. Not necessarily that the Jews are the center of Bible prophecy, but that there would be some sort of millennial, millennial rule in the future. Eventually, there were more things that were added to that belief system. So anyway, I used to be premillennial, and I learned the truth. And so I encourage you today to learn the truth. I'm going to link a couple resources down in the description of this episode for your further study, because we're going to touch on them quite a bit today. One of them being a recent documentary that I released that has a lot of research, probably over 200 hours worth of research, and more if you really consider just how much I've learned on this particular topic over the last couple of years and studied it specifically, to present to you the truth and the facts and the evidence, because your, your beliefs should always go by the evidence. The things that I believe and the things that I share are not based on emotion. Hopefully, if you've watched any of my content, you realize that that I really try to document everything so that there is ample evidence for what you believe. And so this is going to be the, the goal today, is really making sure that if you find yourself on that spectrum, now if you're a Christian Zionist, you probably won't even watch this video, but you know if you have Christian Zionist friends, you will know what to answer to them and how to speak to them about these things, because these things are growing in popularity, popularity sadly. They really are, and and again, my goal is not to offend anybody, but it's really to help you get out of the dialectic, because Christian Zionism is a dialectic. The Middle East is a dialectic. If you don't know what dialectic means, it's really just a, a way to bring about a particular outcome by creating a problem that wasn't there before to which you have the solution for. This is this is the modus operandi, the, the, the way that things have been being done for centuries by those in power and those in control because they want to be God. And God, if you know the Old Testament, God would use dialectics to bring about solutions. But God is perfect. God is perfectly wise, perfectly good, so nothing he can do is evil or wrong. 
But when you try to be God and try to bring about things using, you know, dialectics for your own agenda, that is evil. And so either way, the point is the Middle East is a dialectic. It's, it's designed to bring about a particular solution. And if you watch my End Time series, which I will link, then you will know what that solution is. It is the final system that everybody will walk into thinking that we have arrived at the millennium, at the golden age, whatever you want to call it. So my goal is not to offend you. My goal is to help you wake up. Uh, you know, the Bible says, don't swerve to the left or to the right over 18 times. And so the devil uses duality of dialectics, left and right, up and down, communism, nationalism, you know, Israel, Palestine, whatever, what, pick your flavor. There's always a dialectic to separate you from one another to cause division, chaos, and to make you bounce between the dialectics. This is what I want you to wake up to. And hopefully today will be a lot of good information for you with these recent events and articles, which again, I don't really cover, I don't care to cover news because there's so much news. I care to cover certain things that will help you think. And if that can help you get out of the dialectic, help you develop some principles for better thinking, then that's what matters to me, is that you learn to think from these videos, then not that you know what's going on all the time, because that's just impossible. Nonetheless, I'll put a lot of resources and studies in the links so that you can check them out, because I've talked about a lot of these topics that we're going to mention today in greater detail, and hopefully they'll be edifying for you. If you haven't seen them yet, go, go check them out. You'll learn, you'll learn quite a bit, I promise. But today's about waking up to these smoke and mirrors that's happening with the Middle East. And again, if you're a Christian Zionist, you probably won't even be watching this video, unfortunately, or you'll watch it for about a minute and then troll me like I responded to a bunch of Zionist comments about a week ago. If you watch that video, you'll see, again, I used it for education and there were actually more comments. They keep coming. So, you know, I probably won't be making that anytime soon again, but you'll see just the consistent patterns of error that people hold to. And that was my goal with that response video is to, to show you, to elucidate, to picture the same patterns of error that people have. And it's really, again, it's very popular. So nonetheless, let's jump into it. We start with, of course, the whole anti-Semitic thing, which if you know anything about anti-Semitism, which we'll talk about a little bit about today, it is always the buzzword that people throw out as a thought-stopping device. To, to stop you criticizing anything about Israel, about the state of Israel, about anything having to do with that group of people. This is thrown out, and because it's such an emotionally charged term, people, oh my gosh, you know, it's anti-Semitic. Well, wait a minute. What does that really mean? Where does this term come from? What is the history of this term? I cover it all in my, in my documentary on why the Jews are not God's chosen people. Look into it. You really have to know your history because, again, anything that seeks to manipulate you emotionally, that should be a red flag. This is an emotional manipulation. But nonetheless, let's see what the Jerusalem Post has to say about it. And it reads, Hamas's anti-Semitic influence is even bigger than the Nazis' opinion. Of course, they, they choose a picture. If you look at this picture, obviously these people are gathered together for some sort of rally and they're putting their hands up with like peace signs because you see there's two fingers here. Some people have one finger. I, I'm not really sure what this signifies, but it's obvious what they're trying to do. Again, they're, they're, these things are dialectics. They're designed to 
manipulate you in a particular direction. You know why they chose this picture. And, and of course, their, their title and what they're aligning this picture to, which is a total misrepresentation. These people are gathered here for peace. And of course, yeah, some of them have very hostile feelings about the state of Israel. They're not based in fairy tales because there's a long history there. But nonetheless, this is a, an attempt to get your emotions to go one way or another. But let's read. The, clo- the global scope and scale of Hamas's anti-Semitic influence dramatically exceeds even the Nazis from whom it takes much of its own inspiration. Not true. Nothing in connection between these two. But there is something in connection between Hamas and Israel. And you're going to find that out very shortly. Hamas is by far the most successful anti-Semitic entity in the world today. Beyond all competition, it has mobilized Jew hatred around the world, using the state of Israel both as its target and as its primary weapon. By waging war against Israel over many years, Hamas has inspired and energized international organizations such as the UN, the EU, the governments, the parliaments, the Western media, the university university authorities, professors and students, human rights groups, business, large sectors of the general population. My goodness, it's like a world, the world is against the Jews, according to this article. The poor Jews and the world is against the state of Israel. But wait a minute, let's back up just a little bit. Hamas has inspired and energized international organizations such as the UN and the EU. Wait a minute. The UN, if you know like the WEF, who's their poster boy for transhumanism and all their little policies that are coming out? Yuvanol Harari, he is a Jew. So strike one. The EU, parliaments and governments, do you know who populates, let's put it this way, the majority of political positions in power in the EU, even the United States, there's a lot of lobbying. Look into it. It, 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 would behoove, it would behoove you to look into who's on various campaigns, who's funding various campaigns. Look into it. There's by no means a, a mobilization of the majority of these people against the state of Israel. It's actually quite the opposite. The Western media, who owns the Western media? <clears throat> Look at the presidents and the board uh, board members of these various media conglomerates. Look at their early life on Wikipedia. Good start. University authorities, professors, students, human rights groups, businesses, and large sectors of the general population. What are you even talking about, man? Whoever wrote this article has no clue. All of the first off, academia is very liberal, and of course, because they're liberal a lot of Jewish people align with that. There's a lot of people that are in academia that are liberal Jews. Look into it. So what are you talking about? Liberal academia is all about the anti-Semitic word and the anti-Semitic narrative. They all dance to its pernicious tune, some of out of malevolence, some out of ignorance, and others blindly jumping on the virtue signaling woke band. No, you know what's virtue signaling? Is the word anti-Semitic. And you'll learn it. You'll learn why it's virtue signaling. Because again, it's it's using this, this buzzword. Now, if, if you're not Jewish, then people use that ignorantly because they don't know their history. They don't know where the word comes from. They don't understand how these things are emotionally weaponized. They don't understand. And I hope that you will understand today because I'm going to show you a few things. But go watch my documentary on why the Jews are not God's chosen people, because you're being manipulated, especially if you're a Christian and you're using this term like the way the Jerusalem Post is using it, like the entire world has their gun pointed at the Jews, which is not true. 
Consequently, the global scale of Hamas's anti-Semitic influence dramatically exceeds the Nazis, from whom it was, whom it takes much of its own inspiration. Absolutely not. If you know who created Hamas, it all makes sense. But let's look at another one. San Francisco must not let anti-Semitism win. Let's see. On January 8th, San Francisco Board of Supervisors voted in favor of passing a resolution that would demand a ceasefire by Israel. <gasps> can you can you imagine such an insulting anti-Semitic thing that you could possibly do is demand a ceasefire that would leave its civilians permanently hostage to the terror group Hamas. Well, who created Hamas? Who created Hamas? You're going to learn. After the atrocities of October 7th and the information that has since emerged about the ongoing abuse of the hostages, Israel abandoning them would be unthinkable. Yes, it is unthinkable to have a ceasefire. What an unthinkable thing. Worse, the resolution was passed in a climate of intimidation and the bigoted public harassment of Jews in the meeting room itself. San Francisco owes its citizens better. My gosh, those poor people, those poor Jews are just getting bullied into this ceasefire thing by all these mean anti-Semitic people. Do you see that the language? It's just so biased. It's, it's truly astounding because if you know your history, even recent history, you just realize, wow, this is just nonsense. It really is. I mean, the people who are hostages, that sucks. Yes, my heart goes out to them. But my heart equally goes out to the tens of thousands of Palestinian women and children who have been murdered, slaughtered, left homeless, starving, abused. Come on, let's let's not be so quickly biased. Moving on, Israel and, Hama, and Hamas had a long-term ceasefire in place on October 6th. The next morning, Hamas forced, forces stormed across the Israeli border and massacred over 1,200 innocents, abusing women, mutilating genital organs, burning people alive. My gosh, it just sounds like this horrible thing that just kind of happened. But again, this is how they weave their spell. You cannot let a statement cross your mind without evaluating its assumptions. How, here's the big assumptions here, how did Hamas cross the border and do all this dirty work? How did they do it? You ever ask yourself that? You ever think that Israel has one of the, probably the most secure border in the world, the most monitored border? Layers and layers of security and resources have been pumped into maintaining this border from all the billions of dollars of funding that they received. And somehow this ragtag group of terrorists crossed the border and did all this dirty work on a day that everybody was just taken off. You ever wonder about that? You should wonder about that and not read a sentence like this and continue reading and get inflamed by it. You should read a sentence like this and say, well, why did that happen in a country that has the most secure border in the world? Who can explain that? And of course, if you know your history about who created Hamas, then there is an explanation. It's a dialectic. That's the word of the day. This dialectic. It is a justification to continue and create new conflicts. Remember, problem, reaction, solution. If I want something that I can't have, I create the problem for it. So then there is a reason to do what I want to do. And there's many reasons to do what they're doing today through this conflict. Moving on. Moreover, Hamas took over 240 living captives. That sucks. I really feel sorry for those people, but there are people on both sides. 
And on the Palestinian side, there are much more than 240, as you'll soon see. And while some miraculously have been released and rescued, over 100 remain under Hamas control, where releases have described abuse and excruciating psychological abuse. I'm saying abuse instead of the R word because you just never know with YouTube, but either way. Israel is not fighting the Palestinian people. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You're going to see what statistics actually show. It is fighting the Palestinian people. It is fighting the terrorist group Hamas. Sure it is. This is what they tell you. If Hamas turned over the captives, there would be a ceasefire tomorrow. No, there wouldn't. What nation on earth could allow its people to be violated, murdered, and kidnapped without attempting to rescue the survivors? Do you, do you see the, the carrot that they're putting in front of you? Big bad boogeyman Hamas, they've got our people that we need to rescue and they're just not letting them go, so I guess we have to prolong this conflict. It's cat and mouse, but cat and mouse are both on the same side. Yet the resolution passed by the board did not make its call for a ceasefire contingent on freeing the captives, which would extend the nightmare indefinitely. Yeah, it that that sucks. It really does. But you know who also has been living an indefinite nightmare? The people in Gaza, the women and children and men and their families who have been slaughtered, abused, left homeless, they're starving to death, they're living in tents. Yeah, those people have been living an absolute nightmare. And if you don't have as a Christian a sense for that, and all you can think about is this stuff, this rhetorical, hypocritical nonsense, then you really need to get your heart checked. And you need, to you need to check your theology because your theology, that the Jews are God's chosen people, is making you turn a blind eye to gross violence and justifying the quote-unquote chosen people's actions in the Middle East. But anyway, let's let's see the history of the word anti-Semitic. This is a video. Uh, former Israeli politician, which is actually the former Israeli minister of education, Shulamit Aloni, in her interview quite a few years ago with uh, Amy Goodman, I believe. Yeah, it was a pretty famous interview. Let's see what she says, because it's, uh, it's important to know where these things come from and how they're used. Um, often when there is dissent expressed in the United States against policies of the Israeli government, um, uh, people here are called anti-Semitic. Uh, what is your response to that as an Israeli Jew? Well, it's a trick. We always use it. When from That's Europe enough. somebody is criticizing Israel, then we bring up the Holocaust. When in this country people are criticizing... Yeah, and by the way, in Europe, I don't remember how many countries exactly, but it is illegal to question that event. Even though there are historic, historical underpinnings that need to be questioned. To be a revisionist in that particular topic, you can go to jail. So just imagine, like, that itself should be a red flag. But anyway. I think Israel, then there are anti-Semitic. And the organization is strong and has a lot of money. And the the ties between uh, Israel and the American esta Jewish establishment are very strong. And they are strong in this country, as you know. They have power, which it's okay. They are talented people, and they have power, money, and uh, media, and other things. And but wait, didn't the Jerusalem Post say that Hamas is mobilizing, mobilizing the Western media against the Jews? Hmm. Interesting. Inconsistent, inconsistent narrative between these two accounts.
attitude is Israel, my country, right or wrong, the identification. And they are not ready to hear criticism. And it's very easy to blame people who criticize certain acts of the Israeli government as anti-Semitic and to bring up the Holocaust and the suffering of the Jewish people. There you go. And that's, that justifies everything we do to the Palestinians. Um, there you go. Straight from the horse's mouth. Straight from not just a regular Jewish person, but the Israeli, former Israeli minister of education, somebody who is very involved in government, telling you exactly what I'm telling you, what other people have, tell, have told you, and telling you a very different story than what the Jerusalem Post is telling you, and all these Zionist articles that are so biased in their perspectives that all they do is breathe out lies. They really do. And again, my heart goes out to people who have been hostages, who, who have been killed, who have had their families lost. That really sucks. War is not pretty on either side. But as Christians, we are asked to walk the narrow road. Remember, the Bible tells you not to swerve to the left or to the right. Over 18 times. There's a reason for that, because that's how you get lost. You get lost in the dialectic. So if you're looking at something like a conflict in the Middle East, and all you do is support one side, whether it's Palestinian or Israel, doesn't matter. In this case, in this particular case, it's obvious who is getting the short end of the deal. But nonetheless... Supporting either side more than the other, you are now entering the dialectic, and you're not thinking rightly anymore. Now, let's look at a couple of uh, articles from Israel 365. This is about Christians. Hundreds are held hostage by Hamas. There's a little countdown timer to let you know every single waking moment that those couple hundred people are so important we, we got to rescue these 200 people. Now, of course, yeah, they should be rescued and negotiated for. Absolutely. That's not the point. The point is, what about the thousands and thousands and thousands of women and children that were not rescued? You ever think about that? A lot of them are Christians too. A lot, I mean, a lot of the Palestinian Christians that were, a lot of the Palestinians that were killed in certain areas, like Bethlehem or whatever other, areas over there, there were churches that were being destroyed. I covered this in a previous um, video, but, you know, like ancient monasteries, hundreds of years old, they were just bombed and destroyed ruthlessly. And of course, they can always pull the uh, Hamas was their card and just destroy things because they are destroyers. Zionism is a destroyer. You cannot be a Christian Zionist. Christian and Zionism do not belong in the same sentence. It is a paradox, not a paradox, but a, uh, what do you call it? Whatever. I'm not thinking of the word right now, but it's an oxymoron. There you go. That's what it is. It's an oxymoron. It doesn't work. You can't be Christian and Zionist. But if you are in the U.S. and you listen to John Hagee and all these people, then you are a Christian Zionist. Christians united against South Africa's anti-Israel genocide case at the hug. Now, South Africa is the country... That is well known for what? It's apartheid history. Now, if this country comes to, to bring a case against Israel's genocide at the Hague, you can imagine that it's not coming from some rinking in country without any particular experience in this area. 
you're looking at the country that is famous for its apartheid laws and its apartheid history that is bringing a case against Israel. And people think, Christians in this case, are united against a country that is coming against somebody who is reflecting its own past. And that just, it just blows the mind away, blows the mind. And of course, they cite to you Old Testament verses, pray for the well-being of Jerusalem, may those who love you be at peace. Yeah, as of the New Testament, by the way, if you're a Christian, you read these articles, this is, this is the big problem that I point out over and over again. They use the Old Testament, Christian Zionist, dispensationalist, to justify or to interpret the New Testament. What is the, the definition of Jerusalem as of the New Testament? Who is New Jerusalem that's coming out of the sky? That's related to the church as the body of believers in Christ. So Jerusalem is fulfilled in the church, in Christ. It's not the city of Jerusalem. That city was judged in 70 AD for their rejection. And there is no need, there is no longer need for a physical temple, a physical city, because everything has become spiritual through Christ. But moving on. Israel is defending, it's defending itself at the International Court of Justice in the Hague against charges brought by South Africa that its war in Gaza against Hamas constitutes genocide. The war came in response to an unprovoked invasion by Hamas on October 7th, which again, how did that happen? You have to keep asking yourself, how did that happen? When you get an answer to that, you will read these things more clearly, which targeted civilians. Palestinian terrorists murdered over 1,200 Israelis, abused countless women, and took approximately 250 hostages into Gaza. Of course, they need to sacrifice people. If you know how these things work, they need to sacrifice in order to move their agenda along. The people at the top, they do not believe in God. They have their own God, and the way they work is they create dialectics and they use sacrifices to move along the agenda. If you know that, then you understand how and why these things happen to move along the, the desired outcomes. An overwhelming response arose from Christians who stood re resolutely with Israel. Each one of these Christians, I say to you, shame on you, because you should not be standing with Israel. You should be standing with the truth. You should be standing for the Jews to learn the gospel. You should be standing for people getting innocent, innocent people getting murdered and, and destroyed and their livelihoods being taken away. On both sides, not just on one side or the other. But in this case, it's overwhelmingly on one side, which is the Palestinian side. Over 1,000 Christians gathered in the Hague on Thursday for a public march and rally to stand with Israel. Clown show, absolute clown show, to be standing against the country that has well-known apartheid. It was well-known for its apartheid, and it's coming against Israel, and you're standing against that? How stupid can you be, basically? I mean, really. The International Christian Embassy Jerusalem announced the initiative on Facebook. What really stands out, however, is all the hugely important facts with South Africa, which the South Africa team failed to mention, Parsons wrote. For instance, they never said one word about the Hamas terrorist invasion October 7th that left 1,200 Israeli dead. They, we'll see what, what the actual statistics say about the current conflict which doesn't seem to be mentioned at all in any of these articles, interestingly enough, or why the Hamas thing happened in the first place. How could it have happened with such a secure border? 
Most innocent civilians brutally murdered in their homes or on an outdoor mu music festival. Yeah, that also happened in Gaza times 10, times 20. They also skipped all the ab abuses and mutilations and beheadings by Hamas. They left out the 240 hostages taken back into Gaza, which with more than half still being cruelly held in harsh conditions almost 100 days later. Don't let this rhetoric get to you. Now look, the people who are experiencing these things, it's absolutely horrible. We should pray for them and, and pray that not only that they're released, but that they come to Christ. That Christ makes a powerful appearance in their lives somehow. That's what we should be praying for. But don't let all of this rhetoric get to you because we're going to answer it very shortly. They likewise made no reference to either being held in the hundreds of miles of terror tunnels built with wasted foreign aid funds. They ignored the way Hamas deliberately uses Gazan civilians as human shields and places weapons and rocket launchers in schools, mosques, and hospitals. Sure they do. They were silent about all the extraordinary measures the IDF has taken to protect civilians. This one is just pretty funny. It really is, if you know anything about this conflict. Such as the millions of phone calls and dropped leaflets warning them to flee the area due to impending military operations, especially those operations where they were fleeing and they were still getting shot at and killed. Yeah, too many of those to leave out, but of course we're going to leave them out. They forget to talk about the hundreds of aid trucks being allowed into Gaza every week. Nope, because the aid trucks are always being restricted in some way. They're always being slowed down. They're even being attacked now with the recent, uh, whatever, the whole political thing with the UNRWA or whatever the organization is called. They're trying to defund the, the primary aid organization to Gaza because some people were involved with Hamas over there or supporting Hamas. All this stuff is just stage games, man. Just smoke and mirrors. As well as even fuel, even though denying fuel to an enemy is not a war crime. Perhaps most telling of all, the South African team dared not speak about Hamas's own genocidal jihadist agenda, which is openly spelled out in his founding charter as a sacred Islamic duty to eradicate the Jews both in Israel and worldwide. They also were mum about UNRWA. That was the organization I was looking for. And other UN agencies have aided Hamas in brainwashing the entire population of Gaza with genocidal agenda and death cult mentality. So you see now they subtly, they subtly bring it back to the people and they unify the, the average Gaza person as being brainwashed. They unify them into this terror group of Hamas and they say, see, they're brainwashing these people. So, you know, it's kind of kind of justified what they're doing over there. This is This is the underlying text. But all this stuff is very easy to refute. Let's look at some real news. Nearly 180% spike in anti-Muslim and anti-Palestinian incidents in the U.S. Israeli forces storm hospital in Jenin, as they did with many other places. And a lot of these people were killed in these types of storming of the hospitals. They kill innocent civilians. Undercover Israeli forces stormed Ibn Sina Hospital in Jenin City in the occupied West Bank, killing three Palestinians. Israel has killed at least 378 Palestinians in the, in the West Bank since its war on Gaza began October 7th. What about these 378 people? They were, they were just killed in these raids. Supposedly, they're storming, you know, these little secret bases and hospitals and affecting the people there. What about those people? Quote, it will be impossible to win the war if we do not destroy UNRWA. This destruction must begin immediately. Noga Arbel, a former Israeli foreign ministry official. So they have to destroy the organization that is bringing all of the aid 
and help to the Gaza, most of the aid to the Gazan people. You have to destroy them. There's no way that you can win the war unless you destroy all foreign aid to these innocent people. Very interesting, isn't it? Israel's war on Gaza. Now, this is last figures as of January 30th. So between October 7th and January 30th, which is as of the time of this video yesterday, Israel killed, they've had at least about 1,139 people killed, injured 8,730, official statistics. Gaza, at least 26,751, including at least 10,000 children and more than 8,000 missing. So you're looking at at least over 30,000 people that were killed in Gaza. 30,000 people. Do, just look at that number for a second. If you're a Christian and you identify as a Christian Zionist or a dispensationalist or anybody else, you need to look at this number very carefully and ask yourself, why do you always look only at this number, which is much smaller? Now, they're both horrible numbers for that many people to just be killed brutally. But again, this one is very much bigger than the other one. If you're looking at only one, then you are in the dialectic. You're not walking the narrow road. How many people injured? 65,636, including at least 8,663 children. So look at the numbers, man. Occupied West Bank. How many people died? 370, including 99 children. So... This, all right, this number alone, just in the West Bank, is more than those 240 hostages, but it never gets mentioned. It never gets mentioned. How many injured? 4,250 in the West Bank. So add these numbers together, and what do you get? You get a genocide. You really do. You can't hide from the numbers. But if you are one-sided, and you're a Zionist, and you have to justify yourself constantly, then you, you do hide from the numbers. Infrastructure damage in, in besieged Gaza. Uh, as of the 21st of January, 2.3 million people uh, total are 47% are children. 85% of total population is internationally displaced. 85% of these people have been displaced. Half of these people are children under 18. Now, imagine when we read in the Jerusalem Post that, oh, Israel's war is not on the Palestinians. Well, when your population that you're bombarding is half of it is children you're fighting against children that's what the numbers really say which is not a very pretty thing 1.7 million people live in refugee camps 1.7 million people have had their lives totally flipped upside down they're living a nightmare so stop mentioning the 240 Israeli hostages that are living a nightmare and we can never we can never do a ceasefire because it's just oh my gosh these 240 people yeah that sucks but you know what also sucks is 1.7 million people living in tents and children without their mothers or their fathers digging up their fathers from rubble that's what really really sucks too and unless you're looking at that then you're biased you really are October 7th through January 21st, 360,000 residential units destroyed or damaged. 378 educational facilities damaged, including, I believe, the University of Gaza, like their main university was destroyed. Because, you know, it might have some Hamas in there, you never know. 221 places of worship damaged, including Christian churches and Christian uh, monasteries. 
old ancient monasteries destroyed by the people that you're propping up in your mind. 16 of 35 hospitals partially functional. Half of all hospitals, less than half, are functional. Partially functional, which is crazy if you put in the context of all the people that have been injured and need medical care. 122 ambulances damaged. 11 uh, bakeries destroyed on top of the fact that they're getting their aid you know, uh, withdrawn and, and affected. These people are starving to death. It is a genocide. You cannot avoid that. But moving on. Israel's war on Gaza. Two mothers are killed every hour in Gaza, based on the numbers. This is what Israel has done since the International Court of Justice ruling. More than 300 Palestinians civilian killed since the International Court Justice ruling. More than 600 Palestinian civilians were injured. Hospitals bombed in Gaza. Buildings bombed in Gaza. Israel celebrated the settlement plan in southern Gaza. True. Cutting fu funding for UNRWA. Remember, we got to destroy UNRWA. This is the only way to win this war against the children, is destroy the way that they're going to get bread and water. If you went to one funeral a day for the, for the children killed in Palestine, it would take you more than 27 years to attend all of those funerals. Think about this next time you read one of those Zionist articles that are so biased in their covering of this particular conflict. This is just shocking. It is shocking the amount of partiality. The Bible tells you not to be partial in your judgment. Al Jazeera police have, or Israeli police have arrested several pr protesters in Tel Aviv who called for the resignation of, I'm guessing, Netanyahu. But yeah, there, there, there are people that are in Israel protesting this conflict. They know what's going on. They know that this is like a waste of life, a waste of resources. They know that Israel propped up Hamas to begin with, which we'll look at. And they're protesting. And this particular picture is of them getting arrested by the Israeli police. So you're not allowed to question the narrative within Israel. And Israel is supposedly a democratic country. Breaking news, U.S. Senate blocks investigation into Israeli war crimes. 11 in favor, 72 against. I wonder why. Well, you know why. Because people like Nancy Pelosi... How much money did she receive between 1990 and 2024? Close to a million dollars in lobbying. That's just one particular person. No wonder they enter Congress, relatively average income, and they exit as millionaires. Do you ever wonder why that's the case? Now, if you can see this and you can see the partiality, then the question is, doesn't that make you ask in regards to everything else that we've talked about, if politics is partial, if the news is partial, obviously very partial, doesn't that make you ask, what's going on here? What is really going on with these things? And are my beliefs in alignment with the truth? Because they're not. Israel military sees it taking all of 2024 to eliminate Hamas threat or longer. Does this sound familiar to you? If you live in the United States, you remember the whole Al-Qaeda thing and we got to go to Iraq and we got to spend, you know, 10 years. We just, we're never going to find them. We got to keep, we got to stay there until we find them. Does this sound familiar to you? It should, if you're familiar with the dialectical dance that's been going on for the last, you know, century at least, where there's a problem, there's a reaction, 
And the solution is to, to well, I guess it's going to take all of 2024, maybe even longer, this war, to, to get this done, because we just can't find them. They sponsor these organizations, they give them funds, they give them weapons, and they say, go to town. Just play, you know, in a certain way like this so that we can respond to you. It's all a dance, folks. It really is. Israel 365, 300 Christian students marched to the U.S. Capitol to pray for the safe return of the Israeli hostages. Again, why are you looking at only 240 people when there are thousands upon thousands of women and children that have been killed and affected by this conflict? Why? Around 300 300 Christian students marched toward the U.S. Capitol on January 7th wearing shirts that read, Christians stand with Israel. Each one of you is incredibly brainwashed. If you ever wear a shirt like this, then you do not have good theology, and you certainly don't know your history. Unfortunately. They held signs with pictures of Israeli hostages and prayed together for their safe return. Yeah, I, that's a good thing. That is a good thing to pray for people's safe return. That is a good thing. But the way this is playing out is not a good thing. It's really not. Because it's biased, and it's, it's completely the opposite of a Christian approach to things, to be so biased. We are here in our nation's capital to demonstrate that there are young Christians in America who stand with Israel and the Jewish community. Oh my gosh, thank goodness there are still people who have their head on their shoulders, right? CEO of Passages, Scott Phillips said, who is probably a Christian Zionist, we will always equip our thousands of alumni to stand against the evils of anti-Semitism. There's the buzzword again. Do you remember anti-Semitism? Remember what Shulamit said? Hope you, hopefully you remembered and to build lasting bridges of friendship with Israel. Why? Why should you build a lasting friendship with a state that is largely atheist, that is Zionist, and that hates you as a Christian? Why? Do you ever ask yourself that? Like, why do you do what you do? Watch my documentary and and learn the truth, because you need to snap out of the spell. It's a spell. It's a spell to manipulate you for your resources. Building an explosion kills 21 Israeli soldiers as IDF encircles key southern Gaza city. And I believe this happened right around the time that all this stuff with the International Criminal Court was ramping up. So they need another thing to buzz people and to say, look at this horrible sacrifice. We need, we're justified. We are justified. Israel woke up to the news Tuesday that 21 Israeli Defense Forces reservists died when the two buildings exploded in the central Gaza Strip Monday. It was the largest single loss of life for Israeli soldiers since the Gaza incursion began. Okay, well, I'm really sorry to hear that. Who knows if it was planned or not, so they could sacrifice more people and justify further retaliation. I don't know. Nobody really knows. But given their track record, it's a possibility. But nonetheless, what about the tens of thousands of women and children? Got to keep asking yourself that. But these are done on... on a strategic purpose. Remember, this was released as of this video about a week ago when all this international criminal court stuff just started ramping up and so made Israel look bad. So we need another excuse. Now, if you go to Google and you type in Israel created Hamas or did Israel create Hamas? Probably, who knows? But whatever works, Israel and Hamas in the same and created in the same string of sentence You'll come up with a lot of things. Just look at these headlines. This is on Google, folks. You can Google this, okay? The, the fact that you can Google it tells you that it's not even a conspiracy theory. I mean, it's it's right in, in, the, in your face. 
Blowback, how Israel went from helping create Hamas to dot, dot, dot. Hamas wants to destroy Israel, right? But as Mehdi Hassan shows in a new video on Blowback, Israeli officials admit they helped start the group. Oops. That doesn't seem to be mentioned in any of those articles. Israel's historical role in the rise of Hamas. Hamas, a spinoff of the Palestinian branch of the Muslim Brotherhood, was formally established with Israel's support. Yes, it was. Hamas was created by Israeli intelligence. This is on uh, Reddit. Israel created Hamas in the same way the U.S. created Al-Qaeda. True. In that they gave them fat stacks of cash and weapons and training when they were blah, blah, blah. Divide and rule how Israel helped start Hamas. When Hamas was established in 1987 and became a political party and a military party that was engaged in active resistance against Israel's government. How Israel helped prop up Hamas for decades. I mean, you can read tons of these. This is the front page of Google. Now put it all together. If Israel created Hamas, and now there's this dialectic to justify destroying Gaza so you can come in with your Ben-Gurion Canal, which will be an alternate route to the Red Sea Passage, so you can get a ton of more you know, economy and money and, and traffic going through there, through Israel, and tax it and profit. Is there a motive to continue this dialectic? There is. There is a great motive. And if you don't understand your history, and I'm even just talking like the last couple decades, then you are going to be easily deceived by rhetoric, by the rhetoric of, oh, we need to stand with Israel, otherwise God is not going to bless us. We have to bless Israel. We have to do all these things. No, you don't as a Christian. To be a Jew in this new reality is to be a Christian, a believer in Christ. There are no promises to anybody outside of Christ. That's what the New Testament teaches you. But if you're a dispensationalist or a Christian, Zionist or a Christian nationalist, yeah. Interestingly, those two are related. We're gonna, I think we're going to look at some articles that are relating those two things, which is very strange and very weird. Fellowship of Christians and Jews provides $19 million in aid in the first 100 days of the war. $19 million in aid. Now, where did that aid go? It didn't go to the Palestinians. It didn't go to those women and children being massacred. It went to the Zionist state of Israel. To mark the 100th day of the war between Israel and Hamas, terrorist organization in the Gaza Strip, the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews released details of its 2023 impact which includes emergency aid support for those affected by the ongoing conflict, i.e. only those from the state of Israel, <laughs> not the Palestinian people who are getting slaughtered. From, Oct from, October 20 from October 7th through December 31st, IFCJ provided $19 million in emergency and aid assistance, $19 million, to hundreds of thousands of Israelis affected by the war. Additional security measures provided by IFCJ over the past decades continue to protect and care for Israelis throughout the country. Oh gosh, there's so much to say about this, but let, let's keep reading because it's all going to come together. Now, let's, let's find out, again, another Google search. Very simple to do. How much aid does the U.S. give to Israel? In 1999, the U.S. government signed a Memorandum of Understanding through which it committed provi providing Israel with at least 2.67 billion, highlight this, 2.67 billion in military aid annually for the following 10 years. In 2009, the annual report, the annual amount was raised to 3 billion. And in 2019, the amount was raised again, 
now standing at a minimum of probably over three three billion three billion dollars a year that they get in in foreign aid. Now let's look at some more stuff. This is from the state government. From 1945 to 2018, the German government paid approximately 86.8 billion in resolution and compensation to Holocaust victims and their heirs. So this is from the German, uh, or the, I don't know if this is just Act Report Germany. I think this is the U.S., but it's reporting on what Germany did. So reparations from World War II. Germany has paid almost 90 billion dollars to the state of Israel. So keep that in the in the back burner. Jewish Virtual Library, U.S. Foreign Aid to Israel, History and Overview. Meeting Israel's Special Needs. Yeah, very special. When all the lobbying in Congress and government is for Israel, they have very special needs. They do. They really do. Since 1973, Israel has received more than $120 billion in assistance, including three special aid packages. $120 billion. Now, if we do the math and we look at global statistics, I'm going to zoom out here so I can actually see this. I don't know if you can see this, but this is a, a map, a population map of Israel's population from 1950 to 2024. Now, the red dotted line is where we are here. And you can look this up. Just look up Israel population, 1950. It's from macrotrends.net. And it tells you that the population now, you can do a rough average by looking at the first number, which is about 1.28 million, 1 1.3 million, and the last number, which is 9.3 million, approximately. So all this is about 11 million. Then you divide it by two, and it's about 5.5 million on average over these years. It's, not, it's a rough average. It's not the exact average, but it's a rough average. But that's the, that's the average population in Israel over the last whatever, 70, 80 years, whatever it's been, 5.5 million people, okay? So now, do the math. 90 billion in aid from Germany, 120 billion, plus whoever knows how many more billion, let's roughly count it to $250 billion over the last 70 plus years that have gone to the state of Israel, which has only 500 and, I should say 5 million 500,000 people. So let's see, 200 and, let's see, 250, 1, 2, 3, that's 250,000. 1, 2, 3, that's 250 million. 1, 2, 3, that's $250 billion. We're going to divide that by 5,500,000. That's 500, there we go, 5.5 million. Let's see what it comes out to. The average person in Israel, that is about a full, a nice full-time salary, $45,454 of aid per person in Israel on average, based on the amount of money. Who knows, it's probably much more than this, but just on just easy figures you can find yourself. A country that has not given anyone anything, a country that is ruled by a Zionist philosophy, which hates everybody but itself, a country that was illegally started by the Rothschilds and the papacy and funded by your tax dollars, $45,000 per person. 
Imagine if people in the U.S. got that kind of money and we actually took care of our own. Rather than giving billions and billions and billions of dollars to a state that has given nothing to anybody except conflict and war. So when you read that article about the Christians giving $19 million to help those poor little Israelis out, remember that this country receives more aid per capita than probably any other country in the world. Almost $50,000 per person in a tiny little country in the Middle East that serves a very important purpose for the beast and for other political agendas like the oil cartel and everything else. So you have to think critically, which Christian Zionists and dispensationalists do not do. Israel's population tops 9.8 billion or a million in 2023 as its Christian population grows. Oh my gosh, the Christian population is growing. Let's see how much is the Christian population. The Christian population of Israel is growing as the CBS uh, as the CBS reported approximately 187,000 living in Israel at the end of 2023, composing 1.9% of the population. That's your Christian population in Israel. 2%, less than 2%. 75.3% of the Christians in Israel are ethnic Arabs, making up 6.9% of the total population. Do you mean to tell me that they're Palestinians? Hmm, that's really interesting. Very, very interesting. Isn't history interesting? Sometimes they have to tell you the truth. The left turned its back. Oh, this is the article I was talking about where this is what I'm talking. This is a very interesting topic now where there is this parallel between Christian nationalism, which is what I talk about quite a bit on this channel. If you've watched any of my recent work, which is, again, it's the final system we're all headed to and why everything is moving in that direction. If that doesn't sound like something you've heard before, if, if you're like, well, how does that work? Watch some of my previous stuff. Watch my end time series. But nonetheless, this is an interesting article. So let's read it. By now, let me zoom in just a little bit. By now, most of us have seen images and video clips of pro-Hamas demonstrators disrupting Chris Christmas celebrations across the Western world. So immediately they, they form a, a little bond with you as a Christian. In Italy, the traditional Christmas Eve performance at the La Scala Opera House in Milan was disrupted by anti-Israeli protesters. In New York City, demonstrators chanted, long live the Intifada and Christmas is canceled. And the traditional lighting of the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Plaza was violently interrupted by anti-Israel rioters as well. So you see all these people who are pro-Palestine, they're just, they don't like Christians. They're against you, so side with us. Considering that Israel is a Jewish state with only a 2% Christian minority, well, they're honest at least, why did Israel's enemies target a holiday celebrating the birth of Jesus? Do these, pro do these protester protesters see Israel as fighting for Christianity? Perhaps we can make sense of this odd conflation by considering a parallel phenomenon taking shape at the other end of the political cultural spectrum, at the other end of the dialectic. Pay attention to this, because this is actually very interesting. On November 26th, there was a mass pro-Bolsonaro demonstration held in Sao Paulo, Brazil. As I scrolled through my social media feed the next day, I saw a short video clip of the crowd filling the streets. I was struck by numerous Israeli flags in the crowd. Why would pro-Bolsonaro anti-socialist demonstrators in Brazil be waving Israeli flags? What does Israel and her current struggles have to do with the opposition to socialism in Brazil? Interesting. To fully appreciate the significance of this phenomenon, we should note that it is not limited to Brazilian 
Bolsonaro supporters. Consider the following quote from Geert Wilders, leader of the right-wing nationalist PVV party in the Netherlands, who last month was elected to the nation's government. Quote, the war against Israel is not a war against Israel. It is a war against the West. That's interesting. It is jihad. Israel is simply receiving the blows that are meant for all of us. Oh, gosh. Oh, excuse me while I barf really quick. If there could, there have been no Israel, Islamic imperialism would have found other venues to release its energy and desire for conquest. Islamic imperialism is the big bad boogeyman in this dialectic. Do you see what's happening? I hope you do. Or consider the words of Steve Bannon, former chief strategist and campaign manager for, the, for President Donald Trump, on his popular daily show, War Room. Quote, this is a Sharia supremacist global movement powered by the Chinese Communist Party that is funding the mullahs in Tehran in partnership with Moscow and Erdogan, who wants to reestablish the Ottoman Empire. His words, not mine. This is dispensationalist teaching because dispensationalism and Christian Zionism believe, falsely believe, that the Antichrist power on the earth is a non-Christian power, whether it's communist or Islamic that's the low-hanging fruit. But they believe that the Antichrist power is a non-Christian one. But the Bible tells you that the Antichrist power is a Christian power. Fake Christian, but nonetheless a Christian power. It's a counterfeit that comes into the temple and proclaims itself to be God. But if you have been deceived and you believe that Jews need to build a temple so that some you know, non-believing power comes into that temple and proclaims itself to be God, then your eyes are in the totally different reality. Do you, see, do you see the problem here? Now, if you know your history, which I cover quite a bit, if you know that the Counter-Reformation, one of the first fruits of that was to create a different eschatology, i.e. what people believe about the end times, so that they're not looking at the Roman Catholic Church and the Jesuits and the papacy. No, 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 no. Look at the Jews. Look at Israel. It's in, it's in the future. It's going to happen. Somebody, somebody's going to, some Muslim's going to walk into the Jewish temple proclaims himself to be God or a communist or whatever else, some dictator. Don't look at us. Don't look at the Pope who's proclaiming himself to be God through his titles, through sitting between the cherubim, forgiving sins, speaking infallibly. Don't look at the Pope. Look somewhere else. But moving on. People better wake up on this. This is about you. This is about your civilization. Big bad boogeyman of Islam that's coming to get you. This is about your culture, your society, your country. Starting to sound a little more nationalistic, aren't you? Hmm. It's about your beliefs, your family, and your children. Does any of this sound like evidence to you, or is it just rhetoric? Hmm. Welders and Bannon are not outliers. Across the populist nationalist right throughout the world, support for Israel is growing is the growing norm. Isn't that interesting? That the Christian nationalists are fusing with the Christian Zionists. So fascinating. Throughout the world, populist nationalism is on the rise. This is true. It tells you the truth, and I've covered this quite a bit. We are going from dark to light, from globalism and communism and atheism to nationalism. And it's going to be Christian nationalism because the kings of the earth will give their power to the woman riding the beast. But moving on. While there are many issues that unite this movement across different continents, one issue stands above the rest. Supporters of Miley, Wilders, Orban, and Bannon all believe that Western civilization is under attack. That's exactly what they're doing to you. 
who do you think is responsible for letting all those Muslim refugees in Europe and overwhelming Europe with Muslim refugees on purpose so that they abuse people, that they, you know, murder, rob stores, create violence, do all these types of things, bring in their Sharia, whatever, values and, and mosques. Why do you think they're doing that? So that Europe can become Muslim? No, because the Pope is in Europe. They're doing that to create a dialectic, to evoke Europe out of atheism and back into its glory days of being Christian nationalist when all the kings of Europe were giving their power to the Pope. But I digress. Uh, Where was I? This thing just changed for some reason. Okay. Throughout the world, populist nationalism is on the rise. Yes. And Bannon all believe Western civilization. Yeah. So everybody believes Western civilization is under attack. We, the people, need to take our power back from the globalists. Do you see what's going on? Christian nationalism is rising. And along with it, the Zionists are tagging along, which is such a fascinating phenomenon. More specifically, they recognize that traditional Judeo-Christian culture, this is not a term you should let pass by your radar without scrutinizing it. Watch my documentary, Why the Jews Are Not God's Chosen People. Judeo-Christian is not a term that makes any sense. There is no such thing as Judeo-Christian. Christianity is the continuation of the Hebrew scriptures. Judaism started in Babylon once the temple got destroyed, this is the first temple. And it was a parallel religion that was alongside the Levitical system. It was a rebellion to that system. That's why Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. And that's why in AD 70, when the temple, the second temple was destroyed, Judaism was basically formalized because the people who rejected Christ continued their rebellion. And the Talmud was officialized in 580, something like that, when it was published. So Judaism is younger than Christianity. It's an offshoot. It's a counterfeit. It's a rebellion. So do not marry Judeo with Christian. There's no such thing. But if you're a Zionist and you're trying to warm up to the Christians, especially the Christian nationalists, you're going to unite the two. Say, look, we're both on the same side against the Muslims. Muslims are the big bad enemy, especially if you're a dispensationalist. Judeo-Christian culture under attack from combined forces of neo-Marxist socialism. Do you see the dialectic? Judeo-Christian, so Christian culture is under attack by communism and socialism. I've talked about this so many times. The antithesis to the Christian nationalist empire is communism. That's why it was created, so that it would bring people from dark to light. It's, it's just such a profound thing, but if you've studied your history, if you've watched any of my recent videos on my news updates, go check them out, danceoflife.com. Go, and ch- go to the news archive and search for whatever there, Christian nationalism. Just, just search the, the archive and, and look at a couple of things on Christian nationalism. Watch my end time series. It's coming. There's nothing you can do to stop it. And right now we are in the throngs of a massive dark to light switch from communism, which is the dominant paradigm, to nationalism. It'll be Christian nationalism. And they tell you in this article, which is very interesting, parts of the world, they do not share Western values. Western values. What are Western values? They're not Judeo-Christian. They're Christian values. But they've also been twisted into Christian nationalist values. 
Those who interpret the current trend of right-wing nationalism as motivated by crass racism and xenophobia should take note. It is the left, in fact, that consistently and openly speaks of the evils of Western civilization and its Judeo-Christian underpinnings. From the anti-Christmas demonstrations we are seeing in London, New York, elsewhere, it is becoming clearer and clearer that this interpretation of the current moment is quite accurate. So it's not the right that is as racist as, you know, people are saying. It's actually the left. They're the bad guys. Isn't that so interesting? There's a little there's a little flip that's going on here. Fascinating, really. The seemingly laughable queers for Palestine crowd actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it is That is funny, though. I mean, the whole Queers for Palestine thing is pretty ridiculous. The very same cultural political camp that wants to tear down traditional Western values seeks the destruction of Israel. Well, yeah, I was. it's not funny for that reason. It's funny because if you were a queer in Palestine, you would probably get beheaded or destroyed. But, I mean, again, look at the dialectics. An inevitable conflict. For Israelis, it is time for some self-awareness. The entire Zionist project is the sine qua non of Judea, Judeo-Christian nationalism, whether we admit it to ourselves or not. A successful capitalist nation-state built on religious ethnic identity with roots in the Bible checks all the boxes the progressive globalist left despises. Do you see what's going on? They're telling you, listen, Zionists, the Christian nationalists are your friends. We're all on the same team against the left and against the Muslims and against liberals. Fascinating. The left's abandonment of Israel was always inevitable. Meaning that we're now at, at the end of the dialectic. The whole left thing with Israel, now now we don't need them anymore. We're, we're switching to the new phase, which is the union of all the nations to the beast, which the Bible told you about 2,000 years ago. Is it true that right-wing nationalists have traditionally been infected with anti-Semitism? Certainly. But times are changing. Yes, they are. They are changing quite a bit. What a time to be alive. On the left, anti-Semitism is growing and being normalized, while on the right, it is receding and being replaced by admiration for the state of Israel as the one country that is fighting back against jihadist Islam. So Israel is fulfilling the role of the dialectic, and so now everything is shifting because we can see them in a positive light. Christian Zionism plus Christian nationalism, all one big happy family. As Israelis, it's time to understand the historical moment we are in. Embrace this new reality and learn who our true friends are. Gosh, what a fascinating article. It really is. If you've known any of the things I've talked about recently with history, uh, with, again, with, with the Christian nationalist system that's happening. Hold on a sec. Now, this is a video by Charlie Kirk. And... Okay, let's see what Charlie Kirk has to say. Uh, yeah, well, obviously he's Jew, but... Oh, hold on, hold on. Who was Jesus? Out, he was out, a Jew. That's the comment. Where was Jesus born? Well, somebody say he was the first Christian. Well, where was Jesus born? Why does that matter? You know, do you know? Why does that matter? Okay, yeah, you're obviously not Christian. You don't know where Jesus was born. He was born in Bethlehem. Okay. And he was raised in Nazareth, and he walked on the water in Capernaum. What country are those places in right now? What does it matter? It does matter. You know why? Because when I went to Israel, I came in contact with the living God that walked on water and rose Lazarus from the dead. When I Rhetoric. went to Israel, I saw the Bible come to life. I am not an apologist for Israel, Gosh. but I reject wholeheartedly this narrative. 
Christians who turn their back on Israel, it says in Genesis and Romans and First, Th First Thessalonians, Paul said you will bless the Jews. If you bless Israel, you will be blessed. What religion? Did Paul say you will bless the Jews? I, I don't remember Paul saying that. I remember Paul saying that there is neither Jew nor Greek, that to be a Jew in this new reality is basically to be born again, that there's the Israel of God, that not all who are descended from Israel are of Israel. That's what I remember Paul saying. I also remember Paul saying that God chose between Jacob and Esau before they were ever born so that it would be based on election and not on the will of man or on flesh or on anything else. That's what I remember Paul saying. So I don't know what particular Bible Charlie Kirk is reading, but Charlie Kirk is a Christian nationalist. He's part of the great uh, Reawaken America tour, which I've talked about quite a bit. Look at some of my previous episodes with what's going on with that and, and the environment of the United States as a whole, which will produce the first Christian nationalist system that will be exported to the rest of the world so that the kings of the earth can give their power to Mystery Babylon, which is the Catholic Church. Now, if all of this sounds like news to you, if you've never even heard that before, entertain me and go watch some of those previous videos. Watch my end time series so you aren't deceived. But Charlie Kirk is funny. He's like, oh, I'm not an apologist for Israel, meaning I'm not a Zionist. Don't call me a Zionist, but I am a Zionist. That's what he's telling you. You, you can't turn your back on Israel. What are, you, what are you talking about, dude? The people in the state of Israel have no connection to the biblical people of Jesus's time. I proved that in my documentary. It is impossible to trace anyone's lineage back to those people. It is for many, many reasons. Intermarrying is one of them. From the BC era, people were intermarrying with pagan tribes. The conversion of the Edomites in the second century BC, they were forced to convert. So a lot of, a lot of the Jews of Jesus' time were Edomites. The Jews in power, by, by the way, the Pharisees and Herod and his little circle, they were all Edomites. They weren't actual Jews from the tribe of Judah. And then you had the Khazars who converted in the 8th century. So over the last 2,000 years, you've had countless conversions that have diluted what it means to be a Jew. And so how do you how do you trace people? Like when they have the uh, Levitical priests that they're saying, oh, we've gotten the priests now ready for the third temple. How can you possibly claim to have Levitical priests when God destroyed all records of that through the judgment through 70 AD, through the temple being destroyed? It's impossible. So these things are nonsense. So where does the Bible tell you to bless Israel? The people of Israel who are largely atheists, liberal, who are Zionists, they hate Christians, they hate the gospel. They even recently tried to outlaw the gospel in Israel with, with threat of, of prison time. These people you're supposed to bless? How stupid can you be? You really, and you notice the rhetoric and he's just very charming and, oh man, he's all beefed up and fired up and everybody's like, yes, this is what's coming, is this massive delusion. And it's interesting that Christian nationalism, again, is fusing with Christian Zionism. This is a, uh, a thing about Charlie Kirk. This is what I was saying. He's part of the Reawaken America tour. This is two years ago. So he's very much in the Christian nationalist circle. And yet he is a dispensationalist, obviously, or, or some sort, some form of, you know, Zionist, some, some kind of Zionist. I mean, you're on a spectrum.
He doesn't want to be called a Zionist, but it's very clear where his leanings are. And yet he's a Christian nationalist. Very interesting what the previous article was saying about the union of these two things. Very, very interesting in light of everything we've talked about on this channel over and over again. But now look at this. Ex-terrorist confirms mass visions of Jesus in Gaza, says thousands of Muslims will come to Christ. A former Palestinian sniper turned Christian believes the revival will break out in Gaza and thousands will come to Christ after the end of the Israel-Hamas war. May it be so. May it be so. Taysir Tass Abu Sa'ada, a former aide to the late Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat, recently told CBN News Global Lane that God's Holy Spirit is already changing Palestinian hearts through dreams and visions. Many Muslims are looking for an alternative to Islam, he said. My team is naturally sharing Christ, so we are looking at a good revival going on already in the Gaza Strip. Now, the, re the word revival is a red flag to me. Because revival is a charismatic term. And if you know anything about what the Bible teaches, that there is no revival at the end. There's actually great apostasy, deceptions, false prophets, false teachers, the image of the beast, the mark of the beast, all these things. False Christ, possibly, with all the stuff that's going on. So that's a red flag. But moving on. But Seda believes good can come out of the destruction and pain. Hmm. Also a, a kind of a red flag type of statement. Despite the destruction that is taking place, I believe God has a purpose to get the Palestinians in Gaza to wake up and look at different alternative, at a different alternative to what they believe, he explained. Sada said he believes hearts are being turned to Jesus and confirmed a report late last night or late last year that hundreds of Gazans encountered Jesus in their sleep. I have a report from one of my team members that 200 Gazans have given their heart to Jesus in one lump sump, Sada Express expresses expressed the lord appeared to them in visions and dreams and they were hugging each other and rejoicing they realized all of them had the same vision and each one of them that the other one had basically so they were rejoicing that they had the same vision which again i really hope this is true i really do i hope that this is true i hope that all those people being slaughtered that before they died they had an experience of christ and they believed and so that they could be saved i really hope that's the case however and that's a big however which is this idea that there is revival. Now, again, if you have followed me and my work and all this stuff on Christian nationalism, and you know where this is going, then I would not be surprised to see a charismatic revival being done and orchestrated in the Middle East, even with Israel, that will fulfill this false prophecy that all these people believe needs to happen where the Jews will believe in Jesus, and it'll be this massive revival in Israel, and now we're reaching the end times. The Bible doesn't teach you that. There's no revival of the Jewish nation. There are people that will come to Christ, like from every tribe and tongue, absolutely. But the charismatic movement was created by the Roman Catholic Church. And again, if I've even covered the parallels between the charismatic movement and Christian nationalism. It, it's unbelievable. A lot of these charismatics are also Christian nationalists. So now lump it all together. Christian nationalism, Christian Zionism, charismatic movement. Do you see the threads just kind of coming together? They're coming together and it's coming together in a fascinating way. So again, I hope this thing with the Gazans is true. But nonetheless, when you look at the Middle East and you hear the word revival, pay attention. Pay attention because that's a very interesting situation, to say the least. 
This one again is from Israel 365, the prophetic Gog and Magog connection between Russia and Hamas. There is no prophetic Gog and Magog. Leave me alone with your 200 you know, hostages. Go and rescue at least 200 Palestinians before you post that. The prophetic Gog and Magog connection, there is no prophetic Gog and Magog connection. I have an entire episode at the end of my end time series on the Gog and Magog war. It is not a future event. It is a prophecy. Ezekiel 38 is a prophecy, but it is not about the future. It was fulfilled during Esther's time, where tens of thousands of Persians were killed and humiliated, with Haman being Gog, very likely, and he was humiliated, and the Jews won because God judged the Persians. Look at that episode and look at the evidence. It is clear beyond a shadow of a doubt for anyone who entertains the truth in evidence with context. Very, very important. But there's no prophetic connection. The first in a two-part series, Ephraim Palvanov, a teacher and author of the blog Mayamim Akronim, Final Waters, brings biblical prophecies and Jewish sources that describe the current wars and Ukraine and Israel as being consistent with end-of-days predictions recorded in classical Jewish literature. No. No. You cannot use land equivalency to, to say, well, yeah, Gog is probably Ukraine. The, the people in... <laughs> this is one of the fallacies. This, and, I, and I go over it in my episode. The, the people in Ezekiel's time, the, the north to them was like Babylon. Not they weren't think, they didn't even know about Ukraine. Okay, that didn't concern them. You cannot bring land equivalencies from today to previous lands that didn't even exist because there are many lands that are mentioned that do not exist anymore. So how do you deal with that? There's a lot of issues with this, and so you, you again watch the episode because this type of stuff is what is underpinning all of these Christian Zionists, just like Christian nationalists. They say that God is on our side, you see, because it's a prophecy. It's unfolding. It's not. It, this particular prophecy of Gog and Magog already happened a long time ago. It's already fulfilled. Let's see this next one. Jeremiah prophesied Israel's threat from the north is Ukraine. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not at all. In an article titled Israel, the Shadow of America's Decline, Spiegler columnist David P. Goldman claimed that the real threat to Israel is not Hamas on the southern border, but as described by the prophet Jeremiah, a threat from the far north, specifically Ukraine. Are you kidding me? That's just absolutely ridiculous. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, What seest thou? And I said, I see a seething pot, and the face of thereof is toward the north. Then the Lord said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. What verse in Jeremiah is this? It's Jeremiah 1, verse 13 through 14. What is Jeremiah famous for? Do you know? For prophesying the judgment that God brought through Babylon. Babylon came from the north, and then the Babylonian captivity happened. That's what Jeremiah was prophesying, among other things. But Jeremiah is not prophesying about the Ukraine. To to take all of these things which are relevant for people 2,000 plus years ago, 25, I don't remember when Jeremiah was living, but like 2,600 years ago, he's around 600 BC. To take all that and apply it thousands and thousands of years in the future to yourself and, and to reappropriate these things, this is 
total error. And this guy is like a, a columnist. He's, you know, he's a well-known columnist. So it goes to show you that these people, despite having titles, do not know very much. And if you're following them, your bad theology is going to lead you into even worse theology and into the final system that is coming. So watch my end time series and realize the truth because these things are total nonsense. They're lies. They're, they're misappropriations of God's word. Hamas spokesman attack on October 7th launched was launched to stop the red heifers. Dun, dun, dun. Now do you see how it all ties together with Christian nationalism and Christian Zionism and all these things that are happening with the false prophecy that the papacy committed to 500 plus years ago? This Jewish-focused futurist prophecy of dispensationalism and futurism and Zionism. The papacy has orchestrated all these things to bring about a false fulfillment of their end times version of their prophecy. And again, I talk about this with possibly the end being a false Christ that shows up and they fake the battle of Armageddon and they convince you that Jesus came and destroyed the enemy and now there's the golden millennial reign, that he's here on earth. Do you realize that this is the possible end of these things? And why I take such effort into belaboring to explain these things over and over again? Because people will be deceived. If that happens, I can guarantee you a lot of people will be deceived because they don't know. They don't realize. The Hamas spokesman gave a rare speech on the 100th day anniversary of the war against Israel. In his speech, he cited the arrival of the red heifers in Israel as one of the motives for the massacre of the Jews on October 7th. Now, if you realize that Hamas was created by Israel and you realize that the state of Israel was created by the papacy and you realize that the papacy created the false version of the end times, which is futurist prophecy. Put these together. What do you get? What do you get? Chain by chain by chain by chain. You get the fact that the papacy has to fulfill its false prophecy so as to deceive the world into a final system, possibly with a false Christ. Who knows? But in either case, they're bringing about these dialectics. For the Hamas leader to say, oh, this was because the Jews are building their third temple. So now all the Christians I understand are saying, see, we're right. When you're not right, you're wrong. You're, you're more wrong than you could possibly ever be wrong about your end times views. So again, learn your history and watch my end time series. Watch the episode on the temple. It's episode number six in the series and how the temple has always been, as of the New Testament, a spiritual reality. Not a single apostle who wrote anything in the New Testament ever believed that the temple, the third temple, is a physical thing the Jews need to build. Absolute, total nonsense. In fact, that wasn't even believed by most of the church for hundreds and hundreds of years until the Counter-Reformation because the reformers identified the papacy as the beast. And so you need, an, you need a way out of that. You need to flip the script. Oh, no, it's, it's not a spiritual temple. It's a physical temple. Focus on the Jews. Don't focus on the Pope. See, see how this works? Now, the last one here, this was about the rapture, so let's listen to it. All right. And as I'm elevating towards the heavens, I had never heard God speak to me from his mouth, but he spoke straight into my soul. He stopped me right before I made it to heaven, and he sent me back down through another side put me back in my body, put me back in my body, and he 
told me, now go back and tell my people that the rapture is coming, that it is real, that I am coming back hmm. again. He told me to come back and tell you guys this. There's no mistaking it. It's not a coincidence. It's not fake. I know in my heart that it's real. I felt it. I felt, I really felt it. I felt like God was telling me. Okay. And as I'm out. Yeah. So here's the, here's the big thing that a lot of people need to realize in today's world of subjective emotional rhetoric and using your emotions as the basis for truth. Just because you feel something, just because you feel it in your heart and it's just so true to you doesn't mean that it's true. It really doesn't. The second episode in my end time series is on the rapture, which a lot of these people believe. It's all tied into one mentality and they may fake a rapture with, you know, some sort of uh, holograms, who knows? They may not do it, and then people will think that, oh my gosh, it's not going to happen. Now I'm losing faith, and that's going to be the great falling away that happens. I really don't know what's going to happen with the rapture. There is no rapture, because the rapture is unbiblical. It is nonsense. It, it has many assumptions that come with it, like a seven-year tribulation versus tribulation throughout the church age. And a Jewish revival and a millennial reign and all these things that are just totally debunked. Now I debunked them thoroughly in my series, but we will be meeting Jesus in the air when he does return for real. That's true. That is not, you know, that's something that they can't fake. And I think that's why that, that's why God orchestrated it that way. Cause the devil can't fake that. That's going to be the power of God to lift you up into the sky and meet Jesus. But you're not going to heaven. You're coming back down to earth. Nevertheless, we will be meeting Christ in the air. But that doesn't mean there's a rapture. There's two, those are two very different things. You cannot rely on your dreams and visions for your theology. And when you have a dream and vision of something that you believe God is speaking to you in your heart, and it was so real and convincing, and you test it with the word of God, and the word of God tells you that your dream is wrong, then you need to realize that you have been seriously deceived, that you have allowed demons to masquerade as an angel of light, which is what the Bible tells you, that the devil does. He masquerades as an angel of light. He can even masquerade as Christ in your dreams. There's no off limits, man. They can deceive to the fullest extent if you don't have discernment. So you need to realize that your dream was wrong and you need to realize that, wow, I've been duped. That should be a major wake-up call for you. But people like this, unfortunately, my guess is that they don't read their Bibles very much. And if they do, they cherry-pick verses. They don't really study context. They don't care for the truth. They just care for experience. And there's a lot of people like this. So don't base your theology on experience. Base it on the Word of God. Base it on truth and context and evidence. And history, too. History is very important. Final thoughts. Look, if you buy into any of these things that I mentioned today, like anti-Semitism, like Christian Zionism, like Christian nationalism, although I didn't talk too much about Christian nationalism, but I talk about it quite a lot. So hopefully you've seen some of my previous episodes. But if you buy into any of these things, realize you're not walking a narrow road. You're being deceived. And eventually, all the deceptions will go into the, to one little 
ball. And that ball is going to be the kings of the earth giving their power to the woman riding the beast. I hope today has opened your eyes, at least opened one person's eyes, and I'm happy. Share with your friends that are dispensationalists, that are futurists, premillennials. Those will probably be easier to reach than Christian Zionists, unfortunately. Watch my end time series also so that you learn about the, the truth of the end times. Israel is not... Sorry about that sound if you heard it. Some guy just rode here with his giant truck. Uh, Israel is not the centerpiece of Bible prophecy, as you have been told. The church is the center of Bible prophecy. And if you go through that lens then you see the true Antichrist power on the earth and you understand your history. The whole Israel being the center of Bible prophecy is a distraction by the real beast so that it can bring about its agenda, which, as you see, is slowly forming. It's actually rapidly forming, which is phenomenal. Christian Zionism and Christian nationalism going into one hodgepodge. Very, very fascinating. Now, Israel is the center of the counterfeit prophecy, like I said, they are committing to this prophecy since 500 years ago, and they're fulfilling it. And they are, Israel, the state of Israel is part of that, is the central part of that fake prophecy. So don't be deceived. Watch also my documentary on why the Jews aren't God's chosen people. Learn the truth. Learn the truth behind history. Learn the truth about why you believe what you believe. It's not anti-Semitic to learn the truth. It's not about preferring one person over another. It's just about learning the truth. It's about preferring Christ over all things, really. And you will learn the truth. Look, in the end, we're all hypocrites to some degree, but there are some hypocrisies that you can avoid, like Christian Zionism and Christian nationalism. <laughs>